Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. Well, we are recording this on Monday to be released on Tuesday. This is probably as close to real-time recording as we've gotten. This is practically a live podcast at this point. It's certainly the most stressful one because we're up against the wire, but we're living on the edge this week, I guess. Yeah, so we've had a lot of crazy things happening in our life this week, and really, that's just a microcosm of the craziness that is continuing to happen in the world right now. Yeah, there's so much happening right now, and in some ways, you want it to all go away, and everyone keeps wondering when we're going to get back to normal. I think all of the craziness is moving our culture and our society in a different direction. Probably in some ways, it's a needed direction, and I know there are certain people who are longing for the good old days, though I'm not certain what those days are. But it's it's really crazy. And hearing people's opinions is even crazier, I think. (laughs) That is true. There's the events that happen in the world. And then there are the Facebook posts about the events that are happening in the world that really kind of take us to a whole new level. And so as we're recording this here in California, where we live, COVID restrictions have really ballooned again. So we were on total lockdown for a a good number of weeks. And then we started to kind of let up and more and more things were open. Um, But as we've been getting into the summer here, cases have skyrocketed. And so a lot of stuff is shutting back down again. And so this past weekend, or uh, prior to this past weekend, our governor, Governor Newsom, had made an announcement that churches were going to be shut down for in indoor gatherings for this weekend, uh, that they could have outdoor gatherings. But because of the spike in cases, that churches was one of those, among other organizations, that would need to close down again for in-person, inside gatherings. Yeah, and this has created quite the stir among Christians And rightfully so, I think there's a fear that our right to freely worship is at risk in some way. And I think it's important to weigh out what's happening, but I also think people are labeling this time as persecution. And I'm not quite sure that's exactly what's happening, And that's a little bit about what we want to talk about on this podcast today is what do we see in scripture as persecution and what does it really look like for the church to be persecuted? And even if you're not in California living under the current regulations that we are, there is certainly something happening, at least throughout the U.S., of churches not being able to gather right now. How do we look at what's happening in our world today, and is it fair to say the Christian church in America is being persecuted? Yeah, and so this was a conversation even prior to this latest wave of restrictions because of the spike in COVID cases. Uh, The first time around when we were asked to not meet in person anymore, there were certain Christian leaders that were saying that This was persecution, that this is a violation of our First Amendment rights. But now it's kind of let up, and churches were enabled to meet again with some restrictions, but now have been disallowed from meeting indoors again. This conversation has really accelerated. 
there's a lot of frustration and there's this big question of is the church actually being persecuted during this time and for many leaders they're answering with a resounding yes and so we want to look at that we want to we want to see is that valid is that true and if it's not true then what actually is going on right now and how should we respond to it i think the answer to the question whether or not the church the christian church is being persecuted in america can be answered by looking at a few other details. And part of that is looking at the situation at hand and the regulations that are happening because the leaders in place are trying, and I genuinely would like to believe that to the best of their ability, they're trying to keep us safe from the virus and the way that it's spreading and the complications of that. And I don't think as of now, it it looks like a direct persecution of the Christian church because the Christian church is not the only place regulations are being placed. And as we look at persecution a little bit further in scripture and even in other parts of the country, Understanding what it means to be persecuted is pretty important, and I'm not sure we meet all of the criteria of of how you would define persecution, at least in our current state of what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and so as we're seeing that kind of rhetoric, it's not really a super good look for the church to be crying persecution during this time. Because, you know, according to the the government leader's explanation, like you said, they're trying to help us. And really the question right now is whether or not we believe them. And there are a lot of evangelical leaders right now that don't believe our government leaders are trying to help us and have instead taken an adversarial position against them. And part of that feels a little bit partisan because many of the evangelical leaders that are kind of trying to go toe-to-toe with the governor are known Republican leaders and the governor is a Democrat in the Democratic Party. And so there is a bit of a partisan piece to this where maybe it's less of a persecution issue and more of a partisan issue. But if you throw out that word persecution, you can really rally the base to your aid. And so we want to take a look at maybe parsing this out. Maybe this isn't a persecution issue. Maybe this is a partisan issue that maybe we need to take a step back from and take a closer look at it. I mean, I was just uh, this just this morning. I was at the gym with somebody who goes to a large church near ours, and the, the pastor of that church has been very outspoken against the governor. He's been very outspoken that this is persecution, and that church this weekend met indoors without social distancing against the request of the governor, kind of as a civil disobedience in light of this quote unquote persecution. And so we want to take a look at like. What does the Bible have to say and speak into this issue? And really, as we're looking at the government leaders, it brings us to Romans 13. Yeah, in Romans 13, what's happening is Paul is talking to the church in Rome, describing what their relationship is and the way that they're supposed to be as Christians to the governing authorities over them. Of course, we are not living in Rome, but what Paul is saying still holds true 
regardless of where in the world you're living, what time in the world you're living, there's always going to be governing authorities over you. And it's important as a Christian to know what does the Bible have to say about the way you interact with those governing authorities and what is your relationship to what their rules and regulations are. So in Romans 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Yeah, and so it's important to say from the outset that whenever Christians agree with whoever is in current political power in America, they are really quick to quote these verses. And when they disagree with those who are in political power, then they are not quick to quote these verses. And that's probably present company included in that. But what it's saying is that the governing authorities in society have been placed there by God as God's servant for the good of the people. And when Paul is saying this, he's speaking about the Roman government, which if you know anything about the Roman emperors are some of the most diabolical, immoral, crazy, sex-addicted, violent, vile human beings that have ever led a nation, let alone an empire. And he's saying that, but this authority structure there, it ultimately is for the good and the flourishing of all people. And so whatever's due to those people, whether it's taxes, whether it's respect, whether it's honor, whether it's your obedience, those things are due to those leaders because they're the ones that are in charge. They're the ones that are responsible for you in a sense. And anyone who's led anything knows that it's difficult to lead. It's difficult to make the right decisions. It's difficult to know what to do, what policies to make. You're never going to make everybody happy. And so it's a difficult place to be in. It's even more difficult, however, when the people that you're trying to lead will not follow your lead. And so that's why Paul says, hey, you, you don't need to be afraid of the people that are in charge. Just do what is right, what is good, what is being asked of you. And you won't live in terror of those people because their job is to punish the evildoer and to put them back in line so that the society as a whole can flourish. I think what you said about leadership in general is a good point because it's really easy to be someone who's underneath another person's leadership or authority, whether that's within your state, your city, or even at work, or even for children being underneath the leadership of their parents. Those relationships are difficult, and oftentimes the one who is not in leadership 
feels they have the better ideas and they have the better way to run it and they know what would be the best decision. But if you've ever been in a point of leadership and the right answer might seem unclear or the best answer for the masses seems unclear and you have to make a choice and you have to step forward, your hope is that the people following you will follow. Yeah, and I've experienced that like firsthand in leading a handful of people or dozens of people or even hundreds of people. But when you're thinking on the scale of leading millions of people and you're trying to make the best choices that you can given the information that you have, you just do your best and you're trying to move in a direction and it's really helpful when people cooperate. And certainly like from my personal perspective, I can look around here at ground level from what I'm looking at and I can see inconsistencies. I can see where the problems are. I can see where like, well, if I were in charge, I would do this differently than that. I can see that and it seems very clear to me, but whoever's in charge, it's a very different vantage point, and maybe it seems clear in a different way to them. They have information I don't have. I have information they don't have, but we're all trying to move in the same direction. And so what's most helpful is that even if it's not the most ideal, is that I would submit to that, that I would follow that lead because that's a person that has been placed in authority over me. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I hate taxes. I hate filing all the paperwork for taxes. I hate every part of taxes. I hate that some of my paycheck goes to the government. Like I hate everything that has to do with taxes. It's just a terrible system. (laughs) It's like, here, you owe us a certain amount. You figure it out and then you pay us. And if you get it wrong, then you go to jail. That's, that's taxes. Yeah. That sucks. Back to my point. I hate taxes. But in the end of the day, I'm still obedient and take care of my taxes and go through the whole process no matter how much I hate it, no matter how much grumbling and complaining I do. It's not going against the commandments that Jesus have given. And so when it comes to deciding whether or not you are going to obey the governing authorities that are over you, most of the time the answer just should be yes as a Christian because it's not about your preference and what you would like to happen. It's about God saying these are people that I have put in place for a reason. And there are some exceptions and we do see those exceptions. Like when the government is telling you to do something that goes against what Jesus has commanded. Yeah, and we see this in the Bible where in the early church you had to say that Caesar is Lord, that Caesar is God, and Christians couldn't do that. You go even farther back into the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar builds this big, giant statue and says, you're going to worship this, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, hey, we're not going to bow down to that, and so we're going to disobey that command. And so really the only exception is when the government is telling you and kind of conscripting you to do something that is a against the heart of what Jesus would have you do. That is morally against what Jesus would have you do. And so the card that many church leaders are pulling right now is, well, that's what the governor is telling me to do. It says in Hebrews that we're not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching. The governor is telling me not to do that. And so I have to disobey because that is persecution of my faith. And so, therefore, I don't have to listen to that. And actually, therefore, I I have to not listen to that. I think it's important for Christians to wrestle with that and to truly look at what is happening right now. Is this persecution? Are we being asked to go against what Jesus has commanded? 
that's good for you to be questioning that and to be sitting and thinking about that and really trying to figure it out. There's nothing wrong with weighing out what is happening right now and the information that you're given in it. It might very well feel as if the fact that we cannot meet in person in church right now goes against the call to not give up gathering. Yeah, and so the leaders that are saying that, I don't question their sincerity in that. Right. However, I would like to take a moment to question the validity of the premise, regardless of how sincere they are in holding it. And I'm very sincere and coming from a place of faith and of feeling like they're being obedient to God. I just don't agree with the premise that that they're putting across necessarily. Yeah, and that's because there's two questions when we're weighing this out that we should be considering. And one of those is, which is more important, meeting in person for church or doing whatever we can to stop the spread of this virus that is killing people? Right. And so there are two seemingly competing commandments that well, on, on the one side, we're told, obey your leadership, one, and two, love your neighbor. One way to love your neighbor is to do everything that we can from our end to make sure we're doing this our part to make sure that this virus is stopped. And on the other hand, you have this commandment to meet together. So on right. one side, it's like obeying the authorities and loving my neighbors would seem to indicate that I'm not supposed to meet together in person in these large gatherings. On the other side, Jesus told us to not give up meeting together. And so there's this dichotomy. And so you have to, in some senses, pick the lesser of two evils. Of course, it'd be most ideal if we could all meet together. But that's, that ideal isn't a reality right now. And so what is the lesser of two evils? What is keeping most in the spirit of what Jesus would want? What's more important? Yeah, and even when we look at the call to not give up meeting together, what was happening in Hebrews is that they were periodically meeting together or they just didn't have this commitment to be meeting together on a regular basis. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is this is an important aspect of your faith. And there is no denying that. But it was a choice that they were making to not meet together. And it's unclear if it was just out of it not being important to them at that time. And so the author is really urging the importance of it or if there was something else happening. Yeah. In that context. And the other part of that, too, is that our churches haven't, at least our church hasn't stopped meeting together. We have weekend services every single weekend. They're just virtual. We have a small group that we meet with every single week that we're in relationship with those people. We just meet virtually. And so through the wonders of technology, we're we're still actually obeying that command. And that we're not physically meeting together. Uh, I wonder if that's too literalistic of a reading of that verse. This is a harsh word. Too legalistic of a reading of that verse. And now if everything was normal and like I'm just going to meet online and I don't ever have to go in person again and there's no you know mitigating reason for that, then I would have a different attitude towards that where I would say, like, yeah, well, you, you ought to meet in person. You ought to get together with people. There's something to that. But in this current situation, that's not ideal then. That's, not, that's our only option. And so – Uh, I think it's okay, and we're not standing in the way of Scripture to do that. Right, and that goes back to looking at what is the essence of what Jesus was saying through 
this verse and through this command of meeting together with people in the church, it was that relational aspect. It was to make sure that you are continuing to encourage one another in the faith and continuing to build one another up in the faith. And at that time, when it was written, there was no other way to do that than in person. And we are living in a completely different time where we have other means of gathering together as a church. I will admit it is not ideal. I am not a fan of gathering virtually, but we are still able to build one another up. We're still able to be caring for one another. And even our church itself is trying to find new ways to reach out to the community during this time. And I think that's really the essence of what that passage is saying is if you completely stop all forms of communication with one another and you are in no way building up one another's faith and encouraging one another, then that's a problem. But I don't think that's the problem that we're facing right now. Yeah, because most churches are working harder now than they ever have trying to connect with people. And they've really been connecting with people in intentional ways that maybe they weren't even doing before. So there are certainly blessings that come out of even a pandemic. So that's the the first question is, what's more important? And I think the second question is, what are the consequences if you disobey? And there are health consequences. What if you have an outbreak because you didn't social distance? You pack people into your building when doctors and leaders said that that's not a good idea, and then you have an outbreak. I mean, there's someone in our church who their gym had opened back up, and this was under you know the regulations of, that the government had provided. One person at the gym got COVID-19, and then it spread to literally like a dozen people. It spread like wildfire. And so what if your church is ground zero for an outbreak? That's that's not a good thing. Yeah. And so health is an issue, the health of your congregation, the health of the people around you. And I know there are so many more arguments and bunny trails we could go down in regards to the stats of this virus versus other viruses that people can get. But this is a mandate that is coming down from authorities in our cities, in our states, in our entire country. And for us to feel as if we had the power to weigh whether or not we're supposed to do something or not, I think really does go against scripture. And it goes against this light that the Christians are supposed to be to the people around them. And... If it's the Christians that are constantly disobeying and if it's the Christians that, you know, it ends up being churches that the outbreaks are happening in, we should do our best to be people who live above reproach. And we should be people who are trying to maintain order in society and not be the ones that are going against everything. Unless, of course, it is an issue with us going against the commandment of Jesus. Though I don't think that's what's happening right now. And I understand it's frustrating and it's not ideal. But I think whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, everyone is dealing with the frustrations and the inconvenience of this pandemic right now. And we have a choice as believers of what kind of presence are we going to leave in the middle of this Are we going to be people that are known for loving their neighbors? Even though it was terribly inconvenient for us, even though it caused us to not be able to gather in person, we had to find 
other ways to connect with fellow believers. I agree that's not ideal, but the message that we're sharing there is far more powerful than the message of disobedience under the name of persecution. Right. And so you said that we need to be above reproach. So even if you don't believe in the health consequences, you think the government's lying to us, that it's a conspiracy theory, that it's a pandemic, that it's whatever. I don't agree with you on that. But even if you believe that to be true, then you still have to care about those perception consequences. And this isn't to say that we need good PR or we need to be politically correct or whatever. It's an issue of what are you communicating to the non-believers in your community by taking this attitude, by disregarding recommendations? What are you communicating to the people in your community? You might say you're communicating faith is stronger than fear, but really the way that they're probably going to see it, many of them, is that you don't care about their health. And regardless of whether you believe it to be true or not, that's what they are made to feel when you disregard what recommendations have been put in place, is that your church doesn't care about their health, that you, when you post online that this is all a hoax and that you're flaunting the fact that you don't follow guidelines, you're communicating that you don't care. And so that's that's a real issue as well. And then there's like possible punishment consequences. And here's where we think that maybe this isn't an issue of persecution because when it comes to disobeying authorities for the sake of your faith we just want to kind of go down a list of in the bible and in church history what persecution has looked like for believers we can start with paul who was beheaded because of his faith because of his preaching of the gospel there was peter who was crucified upside down There was John who was boiled alive and then exiled to a remote island where he likely spent the last days of his life doing backbreaking slave labor. I mean, that's really what persecution looks like. That's crazy. Think about Thomas who was pierced through the heart. Think about the Emperor Nero, the Roman emperor who doused Christians in flammable substances and then he lit them on fire and he used them as ambient lighting in his palatial gardens. Think about Christians in the early church who were torn apart literally by wild animals in front of cheering crowds because they refused to renounce their faith. Like that's what persecution looks like in the Bible and in early church history. And it's what persecution looks like even today. Right. Even in other parts of the world where Christianity specifically as a religion is being persecuted. You can see that in countries like China and North Korea, where Christians are targeted and their possessions are taken from them and they're robbed and they're beat up and they did absolutely nothing wrong. It's just that there is persecution in these countries against Christians just because you're a Christian and that's the sole reason that people are being targeted and they're being imprisoned. Places like the Middle East where Christians are actually beheaded. If you claim to be a Christian, that's rights enough for you to lose your life. Yeah, and even in places in the not-too-distant past like the USSR where if you even had a Bible, if you just had one in your possession, you could literally be disappeared. Where you would disappear, your family would disappear, you would be presumably killed, and then your name would be snuffed out from 
public records, all photos or evidence that you ever existed would be destroyed, and you would literally be erased from history for having a Bible or for professing Christian faith or for propagating the message that Jesus is Lord. And so that's what really what real persecution looks like that is targeted specifically at Christians, specifically at the church, in order to stop the spread of the message of Jesus. And so here's why we don't think that that's what's happening here. I mean, for one, we're not being beheaded or imprisoned or crucified. Our houses aren't being set on fire and our possessions aren't being taken from us. It is certain that this is inconvenient. It's deeply inconvenient. I hate wearing a mask. I hate social distancing. I hate not going to church. But it's something that the government has put in place for our good. That and if we truly look at what persecution is and what it is to be persecuted as a Christian, I think there's another list that we could probably run through and share how the circumstances that we're enduring now as inconvenient and as uncomfortable as they are, the best way to label them is not persecution. Yeah, so reasons why we might not be getting persecuted right now. And the first one is this. It's so simple. The church is not being singled out in this. It may feel like we're being singled out, but we're not being singled out in a way that's different from other large gatherings, like sporting events. Like you, they're, they're starting to play sports again, but the stadiums are empty. It's kind of spooky to watch, but there's no large gathering in those sports arenas. There's no concerts. There's no conferences. And so a church is much like that where there's a lot of chairs in a room close together where people where people meet by the hundreds or by the thousands or whatever it might be those events are not taking place and the church is of the same category we're not of the same spiritual category obviously but in terms of number of bodies in a room doing a certain thing it's very similar that and it is not only the christian church that's being told they cannot meet right now it is any religion There is no guideline or regulation that says it's only Christian churches that cannot meet. And when you see persecution of faith in other countries, it's very targeted to that faith. It's very targeted to if you are a Christian, not if you have any kind of faith whatsoever. And so right now we do need to realize it is not only the Christian church that's being asked to withhold meetings in person right now. It is any religion, any gathering that is above a certain size, and that doesn't just mean Christians. And I will say this. I think on the first round of shutdown, I don't know if, at least here in California, can't really speak for the rest of the nation. I think there was not a targeted kind of hit on the church, but I do think that the church, and and even kind of broadly saying you know, faith-based groups were by and large overlooked in that they weren't specifically planned for in whatever the shutdown was and the reopen plan was. And that caused a lot of church pastors to kind of speak up and say like, hey, you're not thinking about us. You're not considering our needs or what we're doing. And I think a lot of that was valid. And I also think from that point forward that the California state government and the governor has been more careful to consider those things. And that doesn't mean he's made decisions that we like 
or that Christian leaders really agree with. But I think there has been a change in tack a little bit on being more thoughtful in even considering that, even if you're not making the decisions that church leaders would want you to make. So I think that's, that's worth mentioning that the first go round, it wasn't that we were persecuted, maybe overlooked, yes, but once that was kind of brought to bear, we brought that up, I think there's been some good conversation that's come out of that. Yeah, and part of that we see that we're not being told to not worship. The way we do it is being regulated in some ways. And I think going back to what your point was, where the first go around, at least in California, they had just said there's no gatherings at all, where right now it's saying not inside, but you can go ahead and gather outside. And so that's a little bit different as well. And that still allows for a gathering of some kind that still allows for worship. And that alone would say you're not being persecuted because you're still being allowed to worship. And it's just outside right now instead of inside. Yeah. And there's no restrictions of what we could do online. There's no restrictions on our Zoom calls. There's no, there's nothing that was restricting any of that. It was just those in-person gatherings. And I think uh, part of the reason why maybe churches were overlooked in that first wave is that uh, we're just, as a leader, you're just trying to get on top of this thing and you're saying, shut everything down and we'll ask questions later. And that, you know, offended a lot of people. And I think as the situation's progressed, the conversation has progressed in some different ways. But but yeah, we're not being restricted in the way that we can, we're being restricted maybe in the way that we can worship is as it relates to gathering, but not in our ability to bring our hearts together and to worship together and to study the word together, to serve together and to, to do all those things. And the other thing is that these, these restrictions, they, they don't exist for their own sake or to bring about intentional harm. In fact, the opposite. A lot of times in persecution, you're seeking to bring harm to a Christian group. And really what is happening is that leaders, through the decisions that they're making, they are attempting their best attempt to bring good to Christian groups by not spreading the virus. Yeah. And if churches disobey these guidelines, which many of them are. Many of them did this past weekend. They did. They will likely not be prosecuted. They are not going to be thrown in jail. They're not going to be beheaded. Their houses are not going to burn up. And they're not going to see any type of punishment in the way that we normally see punishment for people that are being targeted and being persecuted. Yeah, I mean, they might get a citation. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, would, I didn't want to say there was no punishment because I think there might be some kind of a fine or a citation depending on where you're at right now. I haven't heard of any of that happening, but I'm sure it's happening out there somewhere. But I think if that happens then, it, if it there's a citation that goes to a church, then it, it's the same kind of citation that would go to another group if they disobeyed these guidelines. And whatever government authority got word of it businesses that are still opening that aren't supposed to be open like they're getting cited i've heard of that pretty recently yeah and so like it, the enforcement is not 100% because there are some businesses that are disobeying guidelines and maybe the neighborhood's keeping it quiet same thing with churches but if it kind of goes up the ladder and it gets noticed then it's probably going to get cited it's going to get fined and that's across the board, Christian, non-Christian, whatever it is, your organization is going to get fined. But all to be said, we're not being crucified, hanged, beheaded, burned alive, disappeared, 
tortured and in prison. None of that's happening, and none of that's going to happen. And no one would, would even ever suggest that. And so the, it, it's kind of a different thing. I think oftentimes we cheapen the word persecuted when we throw it around in America. We're speaking from a place of like real privilege when you say, like, you're making me do something I don't want to do. That's persecution. And that's, that's just not persecution. That's called yeah. living in a society. Right. And you have to do things that you don't want to do. It's, it's just part of life in general. Yeah. Maybe it's because I'm a nine on the Enneagram. But I'm like, man, don't be that guy. Like, just, just as, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. You know what I mean? And I think there's a bit of harm that is going to happen because American Christians are stating that they're being persecuted right now. And I think the harm is going to be in those who are on the outside looking in, who are looking at us as Christians, and they're watching us. They're watching the way that we are reacting to this. They're watching what we're saying and what we're doing and who we're saying what about. And as people who are supposed to love their neighbors and to be at peace, if at all possible, and to be people that extend grace and extend mercy as much as it's been extended to us, which is far beyond what we could imagine, that's the kind of people we're supposed to be. And I fear that we're doing the exact opposite and not for a valid reason of persecution. And so we have this opportunity right now in the midst of chaos, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of fear. A lot of people are living in fear. And do I think if you abide by the governing authorities, that means you're fearful? No, I think that means that you're being obedient. And obedience isn't always fun. Obedience isn't always something that we want to do. That we have to not look at the way it's inconveniencing us personally and the way it's inconveniencing my personal faith and see what has the gospel always been about? What did Jesus come and die for? It was for all of humanity to come and live in the freedoms that he has given us and to live free of sin. Like there's so many things that are so much weightier than the situations that we're sitting in right now. And we're making major out of the minor things right now. Hmm. Instead of trying to focus on the major things, there are people hurting right now. There are people that are lost right now that don't have Jesus. And we have this opportunity right now in a season of life where it seems like everyone I know is searching for answers in a time where it seems like everyone I know is searching for hope is searching for a light at the end of the tunnel. We have that light, but yet we're focusing on the fact that we have to wear masks and we can't gather in person. Like I think we're losing sight of the opportunities that we have right now to live out the gospel and we can change that. Like we can change this narrative that's being painted of Christians right now. And we can decide to be inconvenienced, but we're still going to be the light of Jesus, even though we're terribly inconvenienced. 
And that showcases the gospel far more than fighting for your right to gather in person. Yeah, our pastor always says, don't treat a cold like it's cancer and don't treat cancer like it's a cold. Hmm. And so I think a lot of what we're doing right now is focusing on the wrong things. And so we want to change that narrative. And so as we're beginning to wrap up, we want to give you just a few things that will help us as a church, that if we all individually commit to these things and we kind of encourage others in this, that we can kind of, we can change the temperature a little bit. The temperature is not quite what it ought to be. And so we can change the mood of the room with these. And I think the first one is this, stop assuming the worst of politicians that aren't in your political party. And this goes for both sides because that, that's what a lot of this is boiling down to. It's crazy that a coronavirus is a political issue, but 2020, baby, it's, it is what it is. And we really assume the worst of those political leaders that are not in our political party. Yeah, and I think another is in regards to the way that it personally affects us and it personally affects our local churches Because the local church is important. There's absolutely no denying the fact that you need the body of Christ. You cannot exist in your faith all by yourself. The body of Christ is absolutely detrimental and you need to be connected. And right now it seems harder to be connected. I understand that. But we can be innovative and we can decide that We are a church in the 21st century. We do have other things available to us that were not available during the second century. And so we can use those as tools for us to continue to gather. We can meet online and we can find other ways to stay connected to people that way. And again, we know it's ideal to meet in person, but this situation isn't forever. They're not saying this is going to be the way that America operates from now until forever. And so we do need to be people who can adjust. So we can change the narrative by by not assuming that political leaders in opposing parties are out to get us. And we can refuse to be afraid of doing church in a 21st century way in the best way that we have during this opportunity. And I think the, the last one is is this, that we need to keep our situ- situation in perspective in terms of context of history and in current world events. That if we're crying persecution, we're maybe not understanding our broader context. Yeah. And I think it's important to see how can we actively showcase the gospel to the world around us and... Usually that means giving up our own comfortability, giving up our own conveniences for the sake of others. And probably one of the biggest things to remember when you are inconvenienced, because you will be. I know I have been. But the biggest thing to remember in those moments of inconvenience is how can I take this opportunity to love somebody else that isn't me? Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. 
And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com, where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised to us. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name is Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.